couple things. Brad, did you want to say anything before we get started? Or? Just jump right in. God, we thank you for this time, and Lord, we just want to pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us in this time as we talk about parenting, and God, may we um, just seek your spirit to do what you've equipped us to do as husbands and wives, husbands and fathers, as, as, as wives and, and husbands and fathers and mothers, Lord, um, but God, just pray your blessing over Anne as she speaks, and may we be encouraged, God to be the parents you called us to be and not just what maybe old scripts in our minds tell us or what culture tells us, but to be parents who seek to raise our children for the kingdom of God, to be full of your, of your character, God. And so we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so thank you all for being here. We gave you a really large handout. We have the fantasy that you might take this home and use it. Is there, are there any more handouts? So, what's it that? It is sort of like a book. It's a book. This is a book. <gasps> oh, uh, hey, yeah, I wanted to give a plug for that book, too. Uh, the Cure for Parents. Um, I'm Beth Kenyon. She's a children's minister at Fellowship uh, Northwest Arkansas, and she called me about three months ago and said, have you read The Cure for Parents? And I said, no, but I will if you think I need to. And um, she said, yes, and I want you to come lead a book discussion on it. And so, uh, so I actually uh, downloaded it on Audible and listened to it on a car trip recently. And I read it because it's a super easy read. And uh, I really enjoyed the book. So, And I don't say that often about books. I don't typically read books I'm supposed to read. But that one was really good and really fun to read too. I would love to hear what you guys think about it. Okay, so this is the handout. Um, we made this long and we're not going to cover all of it. The, ba the back two pages in particular um, has an assessment that you can take and it has a weekly prayer. We would love for you guys to consider. So we put that in there as a resource. So maybe take a look at it. We have to expand the amoeba some more. There can't be a front row, second row. Mm -hmm. Hey, guys. Hey, we started with seven, and we just keep growing. The second service, people are always super late. It's good to know. So I'm going to keep going for the sake of time. Hey, uh, we, Ann and I do this talk a lot. And, uh, but we want to just make this what it needs to be for you all. We don't, we're not here to hear ourselves talk. So uh, we'll just kind of jump around on the handout if you'll allow that for us. So the first thing is a couple qualifiers. One, every time you start talking about parenting, it's dangerous. Why is it dangerous to talk about parenting general truths? Oh, everybody does it differently. Every kid is different. Everyone else is wrong. It's my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. People have strong opinions. And I could give you this great piece of advice that would work beautifully today. And in November, it'll be horrific. 
So it's just, this is a moving target, so that's why it's a little bit dangerous to talk on this topic. It really depends. And especially uh, on your handout here, this is age and stage dependent, right? So I'll give you a piece of information that for a seven-year-old is gold for some reason. For a 19-year-old, it's a disaster. So we're going to count on you to uh, be prayerful and discerning and use your wisdom and the Holy Spirit to determine how this lands for you. So feel free to throw out anything that we say that doesn't fit. In fact, we would prefer that you do that. Um, so we're just kind of having a conversation here. Maybe the biggest takeaway that we would love for you guys to have is for you all as a parenting unit to create more dialogue. Let's talk about what we're doing. Let's be intentional because it's really, really easy to be reactive in parenting. Is that making sense? Okay. So reactive parenting. Let's start there. It's my first note. Anybody a note taker? Is anyone a note taker? All right, three of you. <laughs> if I could remove one thing out of parenting, it might be that. What is reactive parenting? So let me back up a step. Do you know where this, where, where this material comes from? We are parents. We have three kids. We also raised a foster, a kid in a foster situation for two years. But that's not where this comes from. This comes from... 30 or 40,000 hours of sitting with people in counseling offices uh, with kids, but especially with adults, because one thing about every adult, they were once kids, and, uh, and they were parented, and so we work with adults who, whose lives are really not going well, and so it's this, this wonderful sample to sort of listen through their story, to hear about parenting approaches that really, really work, and then especially for us, to hear about parenting approaches that do not work, and so that's really what what develop, this develops out of. So reactive, it's not even on your notes here, but I just want to go with it since I already said it. So reactive parenting, that would be one of the things we would love to take away, although all of us do it, by the way. So what is reactive parenting? That stunned looks on the face. All right, take a step. Excellent. I love that. I love that. That's a really good answer. That's 40% of it, but that's a, that's, <laughs> no, but it's a, it's a really good 40%. That's a really good 40%, because what that means is your parenting is then based on your mood or how the day went and how tired you are, right, which isn't a good thing for most of us in our world today, right? So excellent point. We want to be intentional. We want to create dialogue between us as a parent. How's it going? How's it going with each kid? You know, we really recommend a weekly meeting, Sunday night or Monday night, ideally speaking. How's it going with Jude? Where do you see Abby? Where's Gabriel? That would be our discussion. And then we have a weekly prayer on the back of your handout. Please consider using it, something that we've ripped from other people, John Eldridge in particular. But I want to add one extension to what was said there, reactive parenting that creates business for the Joshua Center in 10 years, which is we don't want right? We're happy to go out of business in that way. Uh, reactive parenting means I saw something I didn't like, maybe from my own parents or, or something in culture, and so I'm going to overcorrect. So my parents were too strict, so I'm going to be super, super nice. Or my parents were too whatever, so we're going to course correct that. That's something that we see that goes terribly wrong. And so we would ask you to kind of assess your own parenting style. 
where did you get your theory? Where did your approach come from? And uh, be discerning. Because what we want to try to do is to reset that back to what is right. How would God be? And, and what does the kid need in the situation? Um, I want to start off with a point here. Is that okay to keep going? Keep going. All right. Preach. So we don't get this right a lot. And that means that, you know what kind of parents mess up in parenting? Oh. Yep, the human ones. <laughs> and, and we're not very good at this sometimes, especially the last two weeks. We've been pretty awful. I was thinking about coming in today. A big, a big point of today is repair. Mm. Repair, 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 repair. You cannot be in sync with your kids all the time. It's impossible. So the key is to repair. The, the adults that we see in our office who have chronic difficulties, as a rule, have parents who never repaired their bond. Right? So if you take one thing out of today, focus on repair when things go, off, go offline. So um, we messed it up. Our daughter, when she found out we were doing a parenting class, was like, I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah, so, and uh, I was just thinking coming in today, I need to do repair work with all three of my kids right now. So I want to be humble before you. I also want to say something, though, and it's like ew, awkward to say, but it's true. We get good feedback on our kids regularly from people. I had three coaches in a row pull me aside with different kids at the end of the season and say, hey, really appreciated working with so-and-so. And I'm like, yeah, 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 it's cool. Okay, see, thank you. <coughs> and they're like, no, 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 I want to talk to you. Okay. Your kid, like, listens and does what we tell him to do. What are you doing differently? Okay, so that's a nice thing to hear. And so we, I first want to say, we're not taking credit for that. I'm humble. We're going into the hardest years. So please don't think that we're saying we have it figured out. But it's nice to hear that. And uh, we pray for our kids pretty regularly. You should do that too. As the famous Brian Bailey once said, prayer can overcome bad parenting. I think that's a good rule of thumb. Um, but I will say this to, to give us a little bit of credit. When we're off, and we are regularly, we do have a grid that we work off of that's very effective. That's the only thing I'll say for us. When we're off and we are regularly, we have a grid that we know works that we just come back to regularly. That's what I want to give you guys today. Just give you the grid, and then you decide if you like it or don't like it or what God would you know, confirm or disconfirm or whatever it is. So I'll just start off with a simple point. It's so simple it's almost insulting, but that doesn't mean it's not important. So security. My specialization as a counselor in terms of what I spend my most time training on is with a uh, parent. Uh, I'm sorry, not parenting. That's what today's group is. Right. Marriage. So I, work, I look at couple distress. I study it. I'm a, a little bit of a scientist. I spend a lot of time trying to figure this out because to me it's one of the keys of the gospel, actually, which is a longer discussion. And I can tell you that um, when I work with an adult, two adults usually, that are in high distress, you look, we, we spend time, and I'll talk about this more in a moment, looking at um, how their childhood went. And people that come out of a secure base or a secure connection are shockingly easier to help in my office. They have a flexibility. They can adapt easily. People that come out of family of origin units that are from an insecure place, it is like drilling into their teeth to pull their teeth to get them to do something different. And so I think that motivates us as parents to, to, to really, really invest in security. So by a secure base, we're talking about secure connection or a secure bond. And this has two sides, which is a theme today. 
right? But here's how security works. I want to be clear. You have a security and a bond, and then you have ruptures. What is a rupture? And what I'm talking about here is between you and your kid. So we have security, and then we have a rupture. What's a rupture? Simple, just something goes wrong. We screwed up. I made a mistake, or they had a bad day, or they needed, they needed a hug, and I gave them a discipline, right? It's just that we miss. There's misattunement. It could be, it, it doesn't even have to be that I messed up. It could be, you know, that we're busy, or, or that uh, you could talk about war, you know, global yeah. uh, changes or yeah. transitions. Any number of things can create a rupture. A bully at school, you know, just a rupture. And so then the key becomes repair. So according to science, this is the definition of a secure connection. To have security, to have a rupture, and then we repair. You see how this feeds the other? Again, so simple, it's almost insulting. And yet it's not easy to do. So science would say that this repair moment is everything with, with your children. And uh, in specific, that your, your bond with them and their sense of security is actually stronger after repair than if it never went wrong. You guys catch me with that? So your kid's ability to be off and to have a rupture and then to have an experience of repair really is everything. That mirrors how their marriage is going to go. That mirrors how life is going to be. And so parenting in some ways is practicing this over and over and over with a specific emphasis on repair. Does and that so, make sense? And so what happens, Ryan, if they don't repair? If there's no repair? Your kids have to learn to harden their heart and take their heart out of the game. And honestly, I think that's what, when I think of when Jesus uh, spoke about um, that warning that said in the end, right, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. I mean, our kids, we're in a battle, our kids are in a battle, and man, it hurts our hearts, right? These ruptures, it's almost... I think what, what Jesus was saying is, is it's going to be so hard, it's going to be almost impossible for us to be able to access our hearts. And so what this repair does is it helps us reaccess the heart. You know, we have other options than just shutting our hearts down or shutting our hearts off in order to survive. Yep. So we have a little short video, two minutes we want to play for you. This is called Securely Attached Families. Throw myself into the wind 
afraid to call on people. Nice. So flexibility, continual adjustment, it's one of the biggest things of today. 
you know, so to go from safety to rupture to repair is a dynamic process that looks different with a 17-year-old than a 7-year-old, right? And with that 7-year-old, to go home and do it today, next fall looks a little bit different, right? So that's, why, that's what makes this incredibly hard and, uh, and yet incredibly rewarding also. This forces you to grow, parenting should. Gary Thomas has got a book called Sacred Parenting. He says parenting, probably more than anything else other than marriage, forces you to grow up as a person. And that's very true, right? Flexible, but also um, some things are not changing, and that's apparent too. So it may be a difference between tactics, which are changing, and strategies the same. So flexible in terms of too close, too far, different things at different stages, but still just like toddlers, they need a hug, you know, and still just like toddlers need a secure base. Nice. Good segue to where I'm going next. So at what age, uh, when you look at the video, what age do you stop needing a secure base? Never. So what does that say about us as parents? We need it too, right? We need this. We need this responsiveness. We need people engaged with us. We need... Uh, we need each other. So on page two of your handout, we're going we're gonna to unpack a little bit more what secure, a secure base means. But before we do, we want to zoom out to 30,000 feet. Ready? So what kind of parent is God? If you had to just give me a word, what would you say? What kind of parent is God? Throw it out. Consistent, all right? Faithful, consistent. What else? Loving? He always sees us. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Anything else? Available. Nice. Good. Some of the very words you're seeing on the screen right there. Yeah. You know, when, when God chooses, you know, I think, I think about Moses in the burning bush. You know, Moses says, you know, what's your name? And if you really study that heavily, God basically says it's the sound of breathing, right? Which is a whole other discussion. And then in the New Testament, you see God chooses a metaphor of how he wants you to think of him. And he chooses a parenting metaphor. He chooses to be seen as our father, right? That's his pick, which is, which is a sweet thing, unless your father was horrible. And then sometimes it's a, it's a big challenge, which is what I see in my office a lot. And it's a great challenge for us as fathers because we are blazing the trail of how our kids relate to God. Right? So my question is, is God to be feared or is he approachable like a friend? And I warn you, it's a trick question. Yes. yes. And that's hard for us. That's hard for us a lot. We've done this talk for years and years and years. And sometimes people really, really struggle with that left side where we talk about the fear of the Lord. And so we want to be clear. We're not talking about the kind of fear like fear of punishment. The kind of, we're talking about the fear of the Lord, which is life-giving, where wisdom begins. We could go on and on. It's hundreds of times in the Bible. That's really, really clear about his position and my position. It's about role clarification. I remember, I remember when I was first starting to lean into God, uh, which, which didn't happen until about, I would say, 10, 12 years ago. Uh, I got the fearful part of God. I'd read the Old Testament. I grew up in a church where it was about you're going to go to hell if you don't follow the rules, right? And so, like, I could get that part of God. Um, but the part of God 
uh, where, where Jesus says, if you want to know who God is, come look at me. I'm that visible image. Like the, and, I, and I thought, man, I don't know that side of God the Father. So I started asking him, you know, you're going to have to teach me because I don't know how to draw near and trust someone I fear. I don't know how to draw near and trust someone that is going to punish me if I don't get it right. Right? And so little by little, he started taking me through this process. I was out of balance. Right? And so because of that balance, do you think I might tend to be a little more out of balance in my own parenting? It could be. Yeah. So some people struck, they can get the fear of the Lord side and can't get the love side. Other people have the opposite problem. They can think of God as the sweet lover God and not... And, and, diminish the fact that he's God and has supreme authority. What we're trying to say here is it's got to be both, and we're to parent our children the way God parents us. And that's really, and and again, that adapts and changes over where they are, the stage of life, and so forth. I mean, it's a bit of a paradox for me to be incredibly approachable and a lover, as God refers to himself, and a friend, and also that uh, I'm the supreme being in the universe and can destroy you. At any moment. That's a paradox that's hard on us because we're humans. And yet it is who God is. And uh, while I don't want to destroy my kids, I'm not going quite that far with it. There's something really, really safe about a kid knowing who's in charge. When a kid doesn't know who's in charge in a household, you have very, very anxious kids. We'll talk more about that. So we're trying to hit this critical zone where we have clear structure in a family but we have very, very secure bonds and loving relationships. That's what the whole point of this is. So this is a dynamic process, and it's a paradox. Is God adjusting, or is he consistent? The answer is kind of yes, once again. There's a paradox there, and uh, we have to hit that as well. And our challenge is this, and so don't let me step on your toes. I'm certainly including us. I assume that right now, if you think about each one of your kids, You're not in a perfect balance with any one of them. At a given time, none of us really, really are. And that's not meant to shame us. It's meant to sober us and motivate us to continue to engage, to continue to be intentional about what we're trying to do. Is that making sense? And can I just throw that in there? You know, I had a a talk this week with a, a local minister who said, the danger in us putting on parenting classes is that every time we have one, about three adults come to me and say they leave shamed, right? Like they, and that shame almost paralyzes them. And that's not what we want. You know, it, we want, we want, let's just have these discussions. All of us are trying to figure this stuff out. All of us are out of balance. And so just to know, all right, there's a framework here for when I find myself out of balance, like, heading toward one ditch over another, then I, all I need to do is readjust my will, right? Like driving, driving through Kansas. You may want to explain that a bit you more. You go ahead. It's your story. <laughs> I was going to end on that point today, but we'll go ahead and use oh, yeah. it. Yeah, so uh, who's ever driven I-70 in Kansas? It's a little, little, little taste of hell. Uh, it's, a, <laughs> you know, it's like se- seven hours of nothingness. It's basically like being on the moon. And so anyway, you're just driving along, and it's just as straight as it can be. Don't tell anybody this, but Nick Ogle and I travel, and we put a laptop in the, in the uh, windshield and watch movies because it's so boring. <laughs> so, 
No one's died yet. It's very unsafe. So, but even on a stretch of road that's that, that's that straight, if you hold the wheel completely still, what will happen? At 80 miles an hour, if you hold it completely still, you'll die. Right? It, it won't work. Even a road that straight, you're going to run off somewhere, and at that speed, it's, that's really, really bad. So consistency is a little bit of word we got to be careful with. There's got to be a dynamicness to our consistency. So a really effective driver is one who can manage the series of two-degree bumps. That's all it is for eight hours, <laughs> right? But this is really key bumps. They're just little moves. They're not, it's not the big stuff in parenting that matters so much. It's the little moves, the little dynamic adjustments. Push it back this way, push it back this way. I've been pretty hard on her for a couple days. Let me just go spend time in her world. Or we've been kind of chaotic the last few days. Let me get really structured. Bedtime, dinner time, right? That's kind of what we're talking about here. And I believe that's how God is with us as well. Always graceful, always available, but serious as well. And so that's what we're shooting for here. So let's move into some specifics. Let's, let's skip around. Can we skip around? Um, page nine. We're going to start at the very end. We had this to go end and then Anne's like, we need to start with this because if we wait till the end, everybody will be tired and ready to go home. This is the most important point. So I'm like, okay. So page nine it is. Uh, on your sheet there, is that, is that, this, is that on page nine? It's no, page nine. No, it's not. It's not page oh, nine. Oh, it's a different. Go, go to back to page eight. I'm glad I looked at that. Thank you. Yeah. Page eight, number seven. Attachment bonds. Attachment bonds. So I want to give someone credit, uh, two people credit. There's a guy named John Bowlby who's been dead for some time, so he doesn't really care if he gets credit, but it seems like the right thing to do. He was a British psychiatrist in the 40s. Before John Bowlby, he's changed your life a lot. You may not even know it. Before John Bowlby, if your kid needed a tonsil surgery, do you know what happened? You would drop them off at the hospital and come back three days later. Yeah. You had no access to your kids because people didn't understand how physiological and neurological human contact is. It was his research that goes, whoa, this is not just about making our kids feel better. This is a really physical reality. Their sense of connection with us changes the, their brain chemistry. And that is absolutely the case, by the way. So attachment bonds. We want to make seven or eight points of that. We could do, tw literally, James can tell you, 25 hours of this. So we're going to do like seven minutes. So before we do that, I want to watch a little two-minute video that uh, illustrates what we're talking about with attachment bonds. See if this works. Babies this young are extremely responsive to the emotions and the reactivity and the social interaction that they get from the world around them. This is something that we started studying, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago when people didn't think that infants could engage in social interaction. In the still face experiment, what the mother did was she sits down and she's playing with her baby who's about a year of age. I'm like a girl. And she gives a greeting to the baby. The baby gives a greeting back to her. This baby starts pointing at different places in the world and the mother's trying to engage her and play with her. They're working to coordinate their emotions and their intentions, what they want to do in the world. And that's really what the baby is used to. And then we ask the mother to not respond to the baby. 
The baby very quickly picks up on this. And then she uses all of her abilities to try and get the mother back. She smiles at the mother. She points because she's used to the mother looking where she points. Yeah. The baby puts both hands up in front of her and says, what's happening here? She makes that screechy sound at the mother, like, come on, why aren't we doing this? Even in this two minutes when they don't get the normal reaction, they react with negative emotions, they turn away, they feel the stress of it, they actually may lose control of their posture because of the stress that they're experiencing. It's a little like the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good is that normal stuff that goes on, that we all do with our kids. The bad is when something bad happens, but the infant can overcome it. After all, when you stop the still face, the mother and the baby start to play again. The ugly is when you don't give the child any chance to get back to the good is no reparation, and they're stuck in that really ugly situation. So kind of example of what we were just talking about with repair. What'd you see there? How'd that land for you? What was that like to watch? Hard to watch? What made it hard to watch? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Anybody else? Better than no response. Really? Yeah. But, but another, form, an, another form of pathology. Yeah. yeah. But, but you see that, just joining those two points. I mean, that's what you see with kids who've, and that's part of the mission of the gospel, right? To, to be there, to be with orphans. Because God knows that we were not designed to live in that kind of unresponsive state. Our brains literally do not know what to do with that. And so you see a kid who's not been responded to for years, and then their behavior makes no sense later, right? And we diagnose them and so forth. That's, that's not a knock on diagnostic. Sometimes that's helpful, sometimes not. But you, you get a picture of that. So here's the challenge. All of us do that <laughs> a certain amount of time, whether it's your phone or whether you're going through something really, really hard in your life, anxiety, busy from work. We all do that in small pieces. And so, uh, but the message is not today that you have to be perfect with this. The message is to be aware of this process and to be intentional about trying to, uh, to work through that. We're going to talk about ways to do that. Yes, ma'am? We miss, yeah, we miss. When our kids need us, we miss, yeah. Which is different, by the way, than when kids are, you know, being kids, selfish, you know, 
whining, pouting for the sake of almost manipulation. It's just part of, that's, that's not what we're talking about. Like when your kid is in a vulnerable state and really needs you, we still miss sometimes. So one more thing from science, and we'll move forward here. Um, man, I usually teach this with lots of names, but my sense is you guys don't care. So some really smart people uh, in 91 <laughs> discovered something in the brain called mirror neurons. Has anyone ever heard of mirror neurons? Yeah. It was discovered in Italy, then it came to Philadelphia, then it's, now it's at UCLA where they're putting out the most research, I mean. So long story short, Alan Shore, if you want to see his stuff, he's got the neat stuff on mirror neurons. He's a neuroaffective psychologist, meaning all he does is study brain. He doesn't, he's, a, he's a psychologist, but he doesn't work with people. He just looks at brain. So anyway, he says, um, mirror neurons are like these microscopic catcher's mitts that float around in your brain all the time. And uh, they, can, they can, only since 2005 have we had good enough technology that we can actually see them. And he, so basically I'm summarizing, but he says, mirror neurons float around in the brain, and uh, they're looking for someone else who's on their exact wavelength. So if my inner world is at a 103.7 on the radio, whether, I, whether I'm aware of it or not, or whether I even feel that I want a connection or not, my brain does. And so it's looking to Ann to say, can you be on 103.7 with me? And if Ann's at 92.1 and I'm at 103.7, good radio stations, by the way, if she's on a different radio station than me, the mirror neurons kind of have like a jerky movement in the brain. They just, no big deal. It happens all the time, but they just kind of have little twitchy, spastic-like movements. And so uh, if I say, hey, Ann, let's talk, and, and she, she responds, which is the key to healthy attachment, responsiveness. And she comes into my world. And so she comes, I'm at 103.7, and she comes to 103.7. My brain will have a significant response. My mirror neurons are then kind of completed or attuned is what we call that. And they take on a rhythmic movement in the brain at that point. So they were spastic before. We attune with each other, and it becomes rhythmic. Okay? And that's a process we call resonance. Only at that point can humans install knowledge. So that's a really big deal if you follow me there. That's okay. Yes, this is learning theory. This is not even about parenting. So in other words, if I'm a first grade teacher and a kid comes to me who uh, has had no breakfast and has been screamed at all morning, his brain is in an upregulated state, right? And so if I don't come and connect with him first and meet the attunement needs, he cannot learn much that day. Is that making sense? So there's a space that your kids need to have attuned to so that they can take in discipline and structure and learning. There's an order to parenting, and the order is you must connect before you correct. Connect before, <coughs> connect before you teach, discipline, whatever it is. You're not going to get that right every time. I don't get it right every time. You're not supposed to every time, but you need to know that it's there. If you find yourself telling your kid the same thing over and over and over and they don't do it, which all of us experience that, try connecting first in a different way. Get in their world, attune to their inner world, and you give that process a chance to be different. Is that making sense? Knowing that there are some situations where you cannot, like if your child's running through a parking lot, Right? It's, it's probably not wise to stop and go, where's your heart? How are you doing? What are you thinking? Where are you feeling? It's about, it's about course correction. Hey, Ryan, is that a, is that pathway then 
I think so. Much easier. It's, it's a practice muscle, you know, and you notice how quickly there is definitely. You notice how quickly the baby repaired. It took like two seconds after having all that distress, two seconds, the mama tunes and she's right back clicked in. As adults, we, we slowly lose the ability to repair that quickly. An adult relationship, when that happens, it can take weeks or months. Some adult relationships never repair. They just come to me and want more techniques for communication even though that will never work in your marriage, sidebar there. So, um, yes, neuroplasticity is what you're talking about, actually. So the more you practice this, the better you get at it. And the more safe a relationship is, the, the, the healthier this is. So, so Anne's going to read two quotes. Yeah, uh, general theory of love. A person cannot know themselves until another knows them first. Emotional experience begins as a derivative. A child gets his or her first taste of their feelings secondhand. Only through limbic resonance with another can he or she begin to apprehend their inner world. The first few years of resonance prepare this instrument for a lifetime's use. One of a parent's most important jobs is to remain in tune with their child because the parents will focus how their children's eyes see their inner world and outer worlds. A parent who is a poor resonator can't impart clarity. Their inexactness, inexactness smears their child's developing precision in reading the emotional world. If he or she does not or can't teach their kids resonance in adulthood, their kids will be unable to sense the inner states of others or themselves. Deprived of limbic, Olympic compass that orients a person through his internal landscape, he or she will slip through life without really understanding it. So that's a mouthful. But you catch what we're trying to say here. Our kids can't develop their sense of self or their inner world except through resonance with you. So we work with people all the time, and we sometimes are those very people, by the way, who go through difficult situations and cannot even describe the experience. And that's from a lack of practice. It's not because you're a man or because you have, don't have emotions or you don't like to talk. That usually is a process I've just never practiced. No one's asked me about my inner world, so therefore when someone finally does, I can't tell you, which almost eliminates any chance of real closeness in life. Right, so this is a big challenge for us. She's got one more quote about um, people who, uh, those who struggle to describe their inner world. Yeah, limbic is, the, limbic is a section of your brain that is responsible for survival, emotions, and it's where your, your brain stores trauma, so it's like your emotional brain. Yeah, so not necessarily your thinking, but more about just your experience of the inner world. And, like we, and so a lot of times, if, if no one's helped us put words to those responses and what's happening, like we have no idea how to share that later if somebody needs to know that information. I, I remember, it's okay, I remember, um, so I have, I have wonderful parents, but we didn't really talk about hard things. We didn't talk about internal experiences. And so then- Which is the a, American way. It was a shock to me as a therapist that when I got married and Ryan would ask me about my inner experience, I honestly had no words. It was like he was asking me to speak Mandarin. And it didn't matter how bad I wanted to say it. There was just no, there was no way to know what is the word for this. How do I talk about this? Right? Yeah, I mean, if your kid comes home and, and you're lucky enough that they say, hey, can I talk to you, Dad? And today I got picked on. 
right? So the right thing to do is to pull over, stop whatever you're doing, and go, I'm so sorry. Can you tell me what that was like for you? And if they can say it was scary, it was humiliating, it was, which will be hard, by the way. You'll have to work with them. That's the point, though, that we work with them when they're four and five and six so that I'm not working with them when they're 36. And so if they can tell you four or five words for how that hurt and you can just respond and nurture, number one, you've healed that place almost instantly. Your kid becomes very resilient to the bullying. It doesn't scar them as much or if at all. And they develop the skill to punctuate their world, right? And we're talking about this in the science piece, but how about the spiritual piece? It's just confession. It's talking and connecting with God at a vulnerable level. And you can't have a walk with God if you don't do that, right? I mean, you can have an allegiance, but there's no, there's no intimacy with God. So it's a mirroring process. Am I answering your question? Am I being too vague? And I, and I will say... Hang on. Am I answering your question or am I being too vague? Okay. Yes. Right. Right. So that so the feeling comes secondhand, right? And so when I when I first started leaning into God and would say, like, I don't know what I feel about this. I don't feel anything. I feel numb. But you do. You know. So will you come tell me? You know. And I really believe. You know, Paul says, take every thought captive and make it submit to Jesus. So when I would ask God questions, I would pay attention to what comes to my mind because I'm a thinker, right? And so. So there would be an emotional word like betrayed or distrustful. And I would go, oh, yeah, yeah, that is what I feel, right? It came secondhand, but it resonated with me. I, I joke that emotions to me came as logic way before I felt them, right? Uh, and that was his way of helping me, like, wake up that emotional part of me. Do I have you? Okay, because just extend that one bit. I'm sorry, I'm coming to you next. Uh, as, as your child can tell you, it hurt, it was scary, it was humiliating, it was embarrassing. It, it, it coordinates your response to them. It lets you attune to them. But more importantly, the rest of their life now, relationships can now do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it teaches them how to bond. That's right, with God and with other people. So it's a really big deal. And what this is saying is it gives them a sense of their own self. They don't even really know who they are if they can't talk about their inner world. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's most people. I wasn't joking. That's the American way. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we all are at some level. Um, we, have a, we have a culture over the years, and we could go into more uh, talk about this, but, you know, the typical American, we're performers. And so we either live in performance or shame, which is a vicious cycle. So I think you restart. The nice part about the way God made us is that redemption's always, <coughs> excuse me, that redemption's always possible. And so you can even start, I've seen people at 70 who've never done this, and they're like, I can't do it, I can't do it, I'm not that way, it's just not how I am. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you're a mammal, human, so let's just try small. And they, they get one word, then all of a sudden it's like the dam comes loose, and it, it was there the whole time. You're made to connect, and so it's there for you, you just got to practice. But you got to want to is really the biggest question. And in those, and I will say, you know, what we know neurologically is that, that we're good at being loved in our best when we're showing up, when we're doing performance, right? Like, that's where we, we get the affirmation. It's when we don't know what we're doing, when we don't have the, when, when the under, I would say, behind the scenes, 
uh, is where love actually lands like love, when we're loved there in those places. So, so we're going to scooch forward here because we're behind big time. Uh, so we have several quotes here like this one from Dan Hughes. Dan Hughes is uh, thought to be the, bi- the best child therapist in the United States. He's unbelievable. He's, this quote says, I'll let you read it. It says basically the same thing, inner subjectivity. A child doesn't begin to know who they are until they see it reflected in our eyes. So it's really, really, so you catch this. Attunement to your kid's inner world is really, really key. It's one half of security. Okay, we're going to talk about the second half in a moment, but this is really key. So anybody feel challenged by that? I feel very challenged by that. I hate teaching this. I'm like, can someone else teach this? Here's, here's good news. So the guy who uh, did the, the baby, what's called the still face experiment, that's Ed Tronic from Harvard. He's a pretty, pretty well-known dude. He's got a great thing on parenting that he calls good enough parenting. You ready? So your kid comes home and someone's been really mean to them at school and they're in a vulnerable place and you say, and they're crying. And you say, quit crying. Go get your stuff cleaned up like I told you to the first 47 times. Okay, so what does that do? It's a miss. That's a rupture. It's okay, as long as we come back and repair. People that get repaired with, they heal. It's when you leave ruptures extensively, endlessly, is when marriages, parenting relationships start to die. So good news from Ed Tronic. He says you only have to do this 33% of the time. Yes, me too, <laughs> to, have, to have a secure bond, meaning you can miss like six, six and a half times out of ten as long as you don't miss more than that. So, in other words, when your kid is in a genuine place of hurt and vulnerability, they need you to find them and attune with them and comfort them. This is simple stuff. This is not complicated. Give them a hug. I love you. It'd be you get a gold star if you can help them put it to words. End with a prayer. You know, just love on them. Their body takes that in. And what their body says is, oh, when life hurts, I can stay with my pain instead of running from it. And I can go to relationship with it which is how God designed us to be. So you're trying to teach your kid how to be a human. Because people that can't do that, we slowly lose our humanity. Humans cannot live in isolation. That's not God's plan. And I'll I'll say this. And and God did not create us to just go to him with pain. That's mythology. The Bible never says that. He created a church that we're to go to as well. And when I respond to my kids, I am the body of so anyway, we can get into the weeds on that pretty quickly. But you got this. So 33% of the time, we got to respond to their hurt. A uh, couple more things here. When I work with a couple, um, uh, I see them once and hear about their difficulties. In the second meeting, I see with them individually. This is really important. I wouldn't spend this time on it. <coughs> and I split them one time. I do what's called an attachment history. And I ask them 11 and a half questions that we have determined over the years will preset me to do my best work with them. And I'm going to talk about one of those. I say to them, I say, hey, when you were growing up, in your growing up years, when you would get hurt, um, who would you go to? How would you let them know that you're hurt? And how would they respond? And I'm going to tell you, it's shocking how accurately I can predict how difficult it's going to be to help them based on how they answer that one question. So if they say, which is really common, by the way, so if this applies to you, I'm not dooming the rest of your life. If they say, uh, nobody, I just went to my room. So they learn to self-soothe, which means to shut your heart down. What that means is they have to completely relearn how to bond, and it's going to take me about a year. 
That's okay. That's beautiful work, and that's important work. So be it. Maybe, maybe no more important work in the world other than that person and God. I also see, on occasion, someone come in that gives me a great answer, like, yeah, when I was hurt, my mom would pick me up. She'd put me in her lap. She would stroke my head. You know, she would just nurture and comfort. And we'll be done in 10 weeks, eight weeks, because they have that kind of flexibility to adjust and adapt, and they have it, the, the ability to, to repair and to bond. Is that making sense? So that, I think, challenges us as parents. If I see your kid in 15 years, <laughs> give them a good answer to that question. Give, it doesn't take that many, by the way. Sometimes if they just have 15 experiences their whole life, they have enough of that neural pathway where they can comfort other people and be comforted. Is that making sense? And that, and that place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that place of being known, I mean, it has to be earned, right? And so I'm not going to let you know me behind the scenes, the places where I get kind of scared myself. If, 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 you, if I don't trust you to be there and love me. And, that, and I think that's one of the beautiful things and the holy things about getting to parent these kids, right, is that we get to see them behind the scenes. And love them there. And so uh, we're going to go to page six. We're going to uh, move through this part really fast. You know, the, uh, Six or seven? It's page six on their handout. Oh, nice. Um, ahead of you there. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, so when, when Jesus says in, in Matthew 7, you know, these people come to him and say, Lord, Lord. And he says, I don't know you. And they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We did all these things. We cast out demons. Like we checked the boxes. We did the things. And he says, what? I don't know you. Like, I think this attunement part is the knowing. Like, this is deeper than the doing. The doing comes out of the knowing, right? Those are all good things. And so as we're talking about this attunement, this bonding, it's the knowing and being known. And so I would challenge you, if you're in here and you're like me and you're like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't even know myself sometimes. I don't know how to let Ryan into a world that I don't even know. I can't describe him. I just, I just asked God to reparent me. I did. I went to people, and I found people who could help me navigate uh, that landscape. So I just want to say it's, it's not too late, I mean, um, to do that. So anyway, we're going to, because parenting, the bond is the agent of connection. And so we're going to just go through some quick illustrations. So this is, this is what you fa- your family does. This is the catch. This is the caregiving. This is the nurturing. This is the responsiveness. And so uh, we're going to swing through these. If you guys have any other questions, pull us aside. Quantity time, of course. We know research says that the quality moments come in the quantity time. Think about on your own childhood, on your own marriages, right? Those quality moments, the ones that make you belly laugh years later, they're not preplanned most of the time. Like they happen in the middle of doing life together, right? In the middle of trips, in the middle of... Uh, spending quantity time together. So it's a quantity time even in that child's world. And Ryan and I were talking about this yesterday, and it's hard, isn't it? Like it is hard to spend quantity time in, in our kids' world, especially when their world isn't that fun for us. Like I, my kids are in a, in, a, in a season, Abby wants to talk about musicals a lot. That is not fun for Ryan. Like, uh, to go say, she goes, will you watch The Greatest Showman with me? And he's like, oh, okay. But, uh, and I'm like, yes, it's easy for me to connect with her there because I love musicals. Uh, it's harder for me to connect with my boys when they want to watch a baseball game. 
right? Like when they're like, come sit and watch this with me, be with me here. And I'm like, (laughs) you know? And so that quantity time of what does it look like for me just to invest in what's important to them and be there with them. And it's okay to miss because sometimes I'm not going to watch the musical. That's true. But we don't want to miss all the time. We want to keep investing and recognizing that there is no quality time without quantity time. That does not exist. Quantity time is, a, is an ingredient of having quality time, which is a hard rule for us in this culture today. Page seven. And the reason it's hard in this culture is because we're busy. We are. Like I, we got kids in sports. We got, yep. we got a thousand things on our to-do list. All the stuff. Yeah, so page seven, number three. For, for those of you who are raising kids in their adolescent world, and adolescence is what, by the way, do you know? Age 14 to 24. So 24-year-olds are still adolescent by the brain at least. Um, the herd rule is really key. I had a mentor who used, well, I was working with lots of teenagers early in my career, and my, my professor, my supervisor would say, you, you better get the herd rule. I'm like, what does that even mean? So once a kid starts getting 11, 12, 13, 14, and on, you will not effectively discipline them if they don't feel heard. They must feel heard. If you don't know, ask them. Do you have a voice that's honored in our house? Do we listen to you? And if they're like, not really, it doesn't matter what else you do. They're not coming with you. So we have to give them the experience of being heard, which is sometimes easy, sometimes really hard. Because adolescents aren't known for being the best logical people in the world. And so it takes, it takes time and active response. Okay, so what I'm hearing you saying is you really want to go out all night in a, and I should buy you a Cadillac and you want to smoke vaping. That's what you're saying because you're, you're responsible enough. I want you to know I hear you. It's not going to happen, but I want. But I mean, seriously, that even that little sentence at least gives them the sense to like take down the pressure of being heard. Is that making sense? Okay, next one, number four. Actually, we're gonna uh, I, we're gonna skip number four because I really think if we're working in attunement, like like our house is gonna be fun. They're gonna want to be with us. Words. I want to talk about a little bit about words. You know, in the beginning, when God created, what did he What did he do when he created? He spoke. Jesus is called, John calls Jesus the word, right, made flesh. So our words, when we're made, we're made in God's image. And when his Holy Spirit indwells us, our words create. You can't get very far in the Bible without it talking about the words have power to bless or curse. James warns us about the power of the tongue, right? So all of this to say, be really careful what you speak over your child, what you speak to your child. Our, child, our kids have these beautiful, they're little, just like us, we're these little vessels of, our, of God, little pieces of God there. Like I think of our gift sets, you know, um, as where we have our real dad's DNA, right? And so they're, they're these little vessels that hold God's DNA, they're gifts, right? And, and so their identity, their destiny is above our pay grade. We don't have any right uh, to parent that, other than just to, um, what would you say, to encourage it, to notice it, to point it out. We can parent behavior. We can uh, challenge behavior. But I wanted to just throw a couple sentences in there about being really careful about what you speak. Our kids tend to become what we believe they're going to be and what we speak over them. And their inner voice is usually our words. That's true. Their inner, their inner voice to themselves is usually our words. So make those words that you want to hear. It's totally fine, and we're going to get this in a moment, to push your kids and to be strict on their behavior. It's not fine to speak negative over their identity, ever. Shame is not an effective tactic for parenting, which we're going to talk about in a moment. 
Do you want to say something? Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. So, so uh, that's a look at attachment and attunement stuff is really key. What I want to say is, if, you, if we don't do attunement and attachment well, nothing else will ever work. You could become an expert in consequences and reverse double pivot parenting moves, and it's completely irrelevant if they don't have a safety with you. At the same time, if you just do attachment well, if you live in tune with your kids, does that mean they're going to do well? Actually, no, that's not the case because kids, until they're about sometime between 17 and 24, depending on their maturity and development, they need another aspect of safety, which John Bowlby, the original psychiatrist, says, a stronger, wiser other. So if my kid wants to play PS4 until 2 a.m., which they do right now, and I come along and I intentionally miss a tune, I still face them and say, I hear that you want to, but uh-uh, nope, and they throw a fit. Is that misattunement? Yes, it is, and it's a good one. So I need to be the stronger, wiser other, all right? So on page four of your handout, here's a critical question. Top of page four, it says a bottom line question. How do we effectively change their behavior in ways that don't create lifelong problems? Catch that? Because parenting is about change. I have to change the course of how, you're, of how you're approaching life. We have to create change for them. How do we do that without creating lifelong problems? I can tell you this, because the, the, we work with all kinds of folks at the Joshua Center. Some, some folks are, you know, just going through stuff. I've been to counseling twice myself, anybody, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm not really talking about that here. I'm talking about the adults who really, really are struggling for a long time. We see two kinds of parenting situations that creates that. One is just a parent who is remarkably just unhealthy, significant addiction or something. that They just never even were in the arena. And so the kid had to find it for themselves. Obviously, that's a problem. But we also see a significant amount of folks who are really struggling who had good, good parents. They tried hard. They really loved their kids. But they could not create change in their life without shaming them. So when you listen for the stories and you're going, your mom said What? But if you listen back, the intentions were good. They just had trouble getting traction, getting them to listen. And so they would, they would use shame to get their attention. You know, you're this, you're so this, you're never going to amount to. And that's not really what they meant. It was just what they were trying to do to get traction and to get change. And so that's something we want to talk about. We have to find ways to create change without creating a lifelong problem. If that makes sense. Because they need, we need training. We're becoming, you know, to be warriors. I was thinking, uh, there was a quote I remember hearing one time that said, our seat at the table is never in question with God, yet we need training dis- and discipline to become who God really designed us to be. Like it's both and. We have to have that, that seat at the table. My seat at the table with God is never questioned. It's always the yes and amen, right? But we ha- I have to be, have training and discipline to become who I'm, truly designed to be you know David says in Psalm 144 praise be to the Lord my God who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle so part this part of training the structure is training for battle yeah and you're training your kids to live in the kingdom and the kingdom is not easy if your kid's going to be a missionary or a pastor you know how many hard things they're going to go through a lot they have to learn how to function as a team they have to recover from offense 
They have to have flexibility in relationships. So it's not just about attachment and attunement. It's also the stronger training side. And those are the two sides of how God parents us. See the gist we're going for here? So one example really quickly, functional predictability. So that's just basically. On page four for you. Kids really need, and we do too, adults need, we need to know what's coming. We need to be able to anticipate uh, what's going to happen in our world. And our kids do too, especially in times. It has to be more overt in times that are uh, upsetting or times of transition. Think about this. If I asked you guys, uh, if I said, all right, tomorrow I'm going to send you. Anybody work for Tyson here? I'm going to send you to work in Tyson's home office tomorrow. Show up. Right? How many of you guys would feel a little, would want to know what you're supposed to do or what the dress code was or like... Brown shirt. Right? Like you would want to know some things to fill in the blanks or you would feel pretty anxious. Like is there lunch? What would be, our kids feel the same way. They need to be able to predict their world. And so sometimes it's us sitting and like I think of it like filling in the map for them, right? So on Mondays, like tomorrow morning, I have a, I have a calendar... Uh, that hangs on my wall, and I'm going to sit with my kids, and I'm going to say, hey, let's go over the week. This is what this week is probably going to look like. Uh, the more times of chaos, like last week we had somebody, we had, Ryan and I were both in training. We had an extra person in our home, uh, so we were playing host, and, and uh, things were a little bit up in the air, so I was a, very, I was a lot more detailed about the structure. This is who's going to be home with you when you get home from school. This is how long. This is when mom's going to get home. We're probably going to eat dinner here, or I'm probably going to get takeout. Do you have a option? Do you have something you want to eat? Right? I'm going to I'm going to help them navigate that just a little bit better. Predict it. Yep. So looking at structure, how do you train your kids? You know, to be successful in this world, they have to have soft and open, and resp- and flexible hearts, and really thick skin. You got one or the other, we got problems. You can be tough with no heart, and you're going to fail. You can have a really soft heart and not have thick skin, and you're going to fail, right? So training is to get both those things. I remember before I started, before I started training, I had all kinds of wonderful theories about human behavior <laughs> until I started doing it, and then we got, we got torn aside. But I, so I predicted in my mind that and I was about to go work in three hospitals. These are psychiatric hospitals with kids whose behavior is off the charts bad to the point that they can't even stay in, uh, what's it called? Uh, when you get in no trouble. Oh, you can't alternative school. They, they, they got in trouble in, alter- what? in alternative school, and they were in a hospital. So anyway, I predicted, well, you'll ha- I'll see parenting units who are way too, way too hands-off and neglectful, and I'll see parents who are way too strict. I'm going to tell you something. I never saw this side. I never saw the too strict parents. I saw abusive parents. And I saw lots of chaos. I never saw the kid whose parents were too strict that weren't abusive. So is it possible to be too strict? It's a question I won't answer for you, but I want to tell you, God is strict. He doesn't like pick a hill to die on with what's, what he makes a sin. He never comes to you and says, well, just obey the sins, you know, the, the, the rules that, I, that you think are important. So strict parenting actually is a major part of security. There's a time and a place and a style to be strict and to push your kids. This is a hard world, and they have to develop some sensitivity. And the better your bond is, the more attuned you are, the more room you have to push. If your bond is really, really low, then strictness is going to come across as oppressive or abusive. 
If your bond is really synced up, rules, at least in, in time, will be seen as love. Is that making sense? So check your motives. Make sure you're not being strict because it's been a bad day for you. But there's a time and a place to, be, to, to communicate to them that obedience is very important. If, if your kids are watching TV and you say, hey, come do this, and they sit there for 10 minutes, what have you just taught them? Yeah, so going over and turning the TV off or unplugging the TV and teaching them about where their role is, those kind of situations can be really, really valuable. Is that making sense? So uh, let's watch a video of this really fast. So, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. You already written Friday night down as a loss, Brock? Well, not if I know we could beat them. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. <laughs> <laughs> what, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. The 50? I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You going to give me your best? I'm going to give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. I need a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right. Let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground. Just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. Show me good effort. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on, keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. You're very bad. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know I'm, he's heavy. I'm bad out of strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going, you hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. You not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. Burn. And let it burn. Burn. It's all hard. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. You promised me your best. Look up, Brock. You're in the end zone.
right, so what did you see there? I fired up to go play the game. What did you see there? Anybody see the paradox of the, the crying baby who needs to be responded to and then the coach that's yelling at him? Which one's your... <laughs> right, right. I know it hurts. Right. There was some attunement as he's as he's crawling. Nice, nice integration there. Which one of those is like God? I mean, the tactics may or may not fit. Right. You know, I'm not trying to get you to yell at your two-year-old. <laughs> maybe maybe you don't yell at all, or maybe you do. I think it I think it depends. Your kid needs you to do that. Yeah. Right. What would that would that have been different if the coach would have been standing on the sideline? Now you see generational sin patterns, right? So, so it's time for us to step up. All right, so kind of wrapping up here, the bottom of page four, uh, healthy structure says don't lie to your kids. I've done this thousands of times. Everybody goes, I don't lie to my kids. I'm like, yes, you do. We all, we all lie to our kids. Let's try to minimize it. But the type, of, the type of lying that I'm referring to is a little bit different. It's, we can go to Walmart right now. We'll see it. You know, walk, walk by the kids, uh, the, uh, what do you call it? The toy, toy. section, right? <laughs> or the gum. And, uh, and a kid will grab it, and a parent will say, no, not right now, and the kid will push. And the, and the parent will say, no, not right now, and the kid will push, no, not right now. And then the kid will push louder and louder and louder, and like the ninth time, I'm behind them in line, by the way. And the ninth time, the parent will finally go, okay, just get it already. And I'm like, no, 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 that can never, ever, 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 ever happen again. You understand what you just did to that kid? What did you just do? You taught, them to, you taught them to protest. You taught them to disobey. But it's actually way worse than that. What else have you just taught them? Yes, your word means nothing. So I should not listen to you. You're not to be taken seriously. What else? Yeah, nine no's means yes. All those are true, but I'm talking about something even more scary. 
The kids set the boundaries, not the parents. So is that what you said? Yes. Yeah. So fundamental structure breach about who's God, right? And I cannot trust my parents. So if I can't trust you in this, I can't trust you in anything. And therefore, the world is a scary place. So, you, so that parenting situation, which seems like no big deal over a piece of gum, just increased the anxiety in that kid's life tenfold. So I literally in the Walmart going, no. And what I want to say is, if, you, if it's really no big deal, just give it to them. Don't threaten. Don't get into a process where you're saying no and no and no and no and then giving in. Say no, mean it, redirect them, get them out of there somehow, or just give it to them. But this process where it's no, 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 then yes is a great way to produce business at the Joshua Center for the next 40 years. Never threaten things that you cannot absolutely follow through on. Don't lie. All right, next page. Wrapping up here. Page five. So consistency. If you interview most Americans and say, what's the most important thing about parenting? They will say consistency. And I want to say, please be careful with that notion. They're not wrong. Consistency sometimes is important. But what most people mean when they say consistency is actually structure. Because remember, if I hold the wheel consistently on I-70, I'm going to run off the road. So consistency in that we never change, like God's love never changes, yes. Consistently that I'll always love you, yes. Consistently, consistency is that I'm always in this place in your life, yes. Consistency in that I'm going to pick out a parenting approach and stick with it no matter what, no. That is the mark of kids who are in clinical situations, is a parent has some kind of theory which is usually reactive to their own parents, and they're just doing it over and over and over and over. So I could tell about 10 different stories right now, but I won't. So bottom line is this, you ready? In a season with a kid, study your process. Is what I'm doing working? If so, keep doing it. Is what I'm doing not working? No, then quit doing it. Try something different. Sorry that's so insulting, but I'm going to tell you something. It's not as simple as you might think because we read a book or someone says something or we even take a passage out of scripture that may not have even meant to be put right there and we, it becomes this golden goose that we're committed to and we try the same thing over and over and over and over and over. I worked in psychiatric hospitals for four years. That's what we did all the time. What are you trying with your kid? Well, I yell at them or I hit them or I don't do anything. I'm like, is that working? No. Well, quit doing it. I know it sounds, again, so crazy, but if you think about how behavioral is pat, behaviors are patterned, don't keep doing something that doesn't work. The Bible says you know a tree by its fruit. If your process is working, we ought to see good fruit in your kid's life. Not perfect, but generally speaking, good. If you're not, pull back. Reset. Get creative. Ask for God's creativity. Go get help community-wise. Have someone pray for you. Come get counseling. If something's not working, let's stop doing it. Modeling is real discipleship. This is where you are trailblazing how your kids experience God. How do you handle offense? How do you go find the words to your own heart, right? How do you start to organize your own world? How do you steward your marriage? How do you, um, how do you walk with Jesus? I mean, that's, you have to model so that they can see that pattern in front of them, even as you teach it to them. we got three quick points and we're done. Because we have one minute left. Yep, we can do it. So um, 
the older your kids get, the more you need to become a trainer and, and less of a teacher. Okay, so our goal is that when your kid's 18 and he or she is in a dorm and uh, the local Bible study ministry has an event that night at 7 and there's a party across campus that's going to have cocaine. That's their options that night. We are parenting for that day <laughs> when it's their call. And so you want to start giving your kids choices when they get 14, 15, 16, 17. And we want to start having parenting be less about lectures and I'm disappointed in you and more about natural consequence. So if, if you're 19 and you have a choice between pay the water bill or buy beer, and you choose to buy beer, and you don't pay your water bill, what will the water company do? Will they call you and say, I'm so disappointed. Let's talk for two hours about your future. No, they just turn the water off. That's the world they're going into. So we want to set up 100 scenarios in their 17-year-old year where they learn choice and consequence. Is that making sense? So training more than teaching at that point. Tell you about marriage and I'll finish. You go, go ahead. Ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I'm done. Okay, so marriage is the, marriage is the fu foundational structure of a kid's life. This is a hard lesson if you've been divorced and remarried. It's real life. Uh, but I am half of each of my kid, and Anne is the other half. And so if she and I divide, it is a painful experience for them. So we are modeling how to be in relationship by how we treat our spouses. So invest in that. Whatever that looks like for you, whether it's going to counseling, whether it's reading a book together, whether it's whatever help and support that you need. So, last thing. If you've caught this, there's two sides we've been fishing for today. We started off talking about bonding and attachment, right? How the coach was pushing, but he was also right next to him. And what did you say? I know it hurts. That's attunement right there. Beautiful. And we've talked about structure or training. John Bowlby calls it the stronger, wiser other. From a God perspective, we've talked about how he loves us endlessly with grace and mercy. His kindness is what leads to repentance. He sees us as a friend. And we're also to fear him because he is the supreme being in the universe. We're trying to parent our kids from those same Healthy paradoxes. But science gives us a little tip on this. Both these are really important, but they're not equal in quantities. Science tells us for a relationship to become secure, and I do think there's some room to see this a little bit differently, but it's, good, it's a good category to think about. We must have five of these for every one of these. So what that means is for every time I'm critical, I coach, I'm irritable with my kids, which we all are. I, they need five investments in my bond with them just to keep this thing even. So investments in the bond can be all kinds of little stuff, just a tap on the shoulder, prayers with them at night, I love you, hugs, encouragement, anything like that, which just says I'm with you. Attuning to pain would give you like 50, so that would be a big one. But five to one becomes the ratio of what keeps this in balance. And by the way, if you're off track, science says it takes 15 to 1 to repair. So if I've had a difficult season in a relationship, I've got to double down. How do you do that? A one-on-one -on -one trip somewhere. Take them hiking and just send 200 bonding messages to sort of catch you back up. 
kids kind of have an emotional bank account of how safe and secure they are with you. What would you add to that? Uh, I mean, I think that's, I wouldn't add anything. That's pretty good. That's good stuff. Okay. I do think, I think on those 15 to 1 ratios, the, those trips, because there's been such a pattern sometimes of disconnection and coaching, you have to be intentional about, I'm not going to coach here. Right? I have to make sure that those 15 bonding moments, right, uh, are happening. So today's talk is less about do it this way or do it that way, as seeing a grid that you can come back to. Your kids need these two sides. Oh, last one. Uh, we can't get ourselves stuck in a process where Ann is the one that bonds and I'm the one that coaches. That's a nightmare. We don't want to do good cop, bad cop at all. That teaches a kid confusion. I've got to manage my bonding with each kid, and I've got to manage my uh, structure with each kid, and so does Ann. It's a really key point. Anybody ever heard, when your dad gets home, you're in trouble? That's not what we want to go for so much. We want to both manage that within, within this. Okay, let's pray, and we're out of time. God, we uh, parenting stuff, and you're the ultimate parent. And so I pray that you would, um, out of this talk today, will you filter out anything that's maybe not of you or we said it wrong or just doesn't fit a situation. But will you write on our hearts any, any truth that is of you? And will you download into our hearts what our kids need so that we can model security and safety and also push and toughness so that they can be ready to have open hearts and thick skin and be effective in your kingdom and be leaders for you. And so I pray that you would give us that ability. We confess to you that we don't have enough wisdom uh, this is not a trick sort of thing, uh, but we need it. We need your wisdom and your love and your heart for people and uh, just clarity on how we spend our time. And uh, so I pray that you bless every kid represented in this room, protect them, renew us in you and our marriages and how we approach each kid. And will you use this to bless many in Jesus name? Amen. Thank you guys for being here.